really is good to have everybody out tonight. Thank you for coming and being a part of this Christmas Eve service. I don't know if this is the best turnout we've ever had for a Christmas Eve service, but I can't remember uh, one much better than this. So thank you for being here. Um, I just want to take a few minutes of your time and share with you a, a message from 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Please turn there if you would uh, like to. Uh, 1 Timothy 1 verses 15 really 15 through 17, and we'll reflect on a couple of other passages as well. I've got some notes here somewhere. There they are. First Timothy chapter 1. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I come to you now, and Lord, just... I am thankful for your church and that the redeemed of the Lord can gather together and that we can say so, that we have been redeemed through the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we look into your word tonight, Father, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear and I thank you for your word that is powerful in our lives to save us and to sanctify us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so... um, I guess if I were going to entitle this, I would entitle it a most faithful saying. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse, verse 15, the Bible says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world. Do you see why I chose this passage or maybe why, why this is a fitting passage? You see there that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, however, I'm sorry, however, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and the preaching of it to our hearts. A most faithful saying. When you see that in uh, verse 15, you might want to note that Paul uses this five times in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, where he, would, he, he uses that five times saying, this is a faithful saying. And um, it's unique to the pastoral epistles. You're not going to find that in any of other of Paul's writings. He just does it here with these two pastors. And so this is a faithful saying. It's a, faithful, it's a saying that's trustworthy. And he goes on there in verse 15 to say, and worthy of all acceptance. If I were to break this down into some points, the first point that I would offer to you is taken right there, worthy of all acceptance. What does that mean? It means that what is about to be said is something that is worthy for all people to accept. What he is about to declare to them or state to them is something that every person, no matter what your nationality is, no matter whether you're male or female, whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter. It's worthy of all acceptance. And the thing that is worthy of all acceptance, you see in verse 15, is this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I'd like to break that down in just a couple of points. When we think about Jesus Christ coming into the world, and then I reflect back to the passage that Kevin read for us from Matthew chapter 1 and 2. We, we see here that 
you know, this tells us the, the why, the who, the how, and the where of the coming of Jesus Christ. And we see this in here, you know, um, in verse 21 of Matthew 1. It says, And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Why did Jesus come? He, he came to save his people from their sins. And then as we continue to look at this, we see in verse 23 the how he came. How did the Son of God come? Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. How did he come? He came by way of a virgin, virgin named Mary, a young, young girl, young lady. And um, the Son of God was born. Now, we, we see the why, we see the how, but now let's see who. Who was this child that came? The end of verse 23 tells us. Uh, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Who was this baby? Who was this man who, this man who would die on the cross? He was God with us. That's the different about Jesus than any other religious leader. They might claim to point away. They might claim some righteousness, but none of them can claim to be God. Jesus did not shirk that. He did not back away from it. He was indeed God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And they did call his name Jesus. We not only see those things, but we also see the where. Where did this take place? Where did the birth of Christ happen? And it's a quote from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that's found in Matthew 2, verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Bethlehem is the place from which the Savior, where the Savior was born. So we see those things. Jesus Christ came into the world. And we see ultimately here the purpose of His coming, the why of His coming being found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. And that was to save sinners. If you think about it, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? That um, it's worthy of all acceptance. You see why it's worthy of all acceptance? We, we know the Bible. For all have what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Think about shooting at a target and hitting low on the target. Think about missing the target altogether and just falling short of the target. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And it's because of that sin of our falling short of the glory of God that all people have experienced that Christ came because all people need a Savior having all sinned. And we know also that the Bible tells us what the wages of sin is. What is it? Death. The wages of sin. In other words, the paycheck we get from our sinning. What we've earned from our sinning 
is death. We're deserving of it. And that goes for all people. Last time I checked, death is pretty much a 100% thing. We're all headed that way, lest the Lord Jesus Christ returns first. But we're all headed for it. Christ came into the world to save sinners. He saves us from sin. He saves us from the penalty of sin, which is death. And the Apostle Paul, at the end of verse 15, says, uh, Of whom I am chief. So it's worthy of all acceptance. The second phrase would be this, worst of all sinners. Luther had a phrase that he liked to use. It was his favorite phrase pertaining to sin. And it was in the Latin. I don't know Latin really, but I'll try to pronounce it. It's something like this, homo in se curvatus. And it is to be translated this, man curved in on himself. And so it is with each one of us. We have a sin nature, fallen in Adam. We act like our first father, Adam. And we need to be delivered from that sin nature. We need to be delivered from that. The Apostle Paul here in 1 Timothy 1.15, he even at this point, even though he's writing letters that he knew were inspired scripture, he yet in this says, of whom I am chief. This evening, I want to ask you a question. How do you view yourself? As you think about Christmas, we're all excited about tomorrow. I'm excited about it. It's fun. Uh, How do we view ourselves? Do we view ourselves as people who were just kind of, you know, sick and we needed a little help? We were pretty good people and we just needed somebody to help get us over the hump. Or do we view ourselves as sinners dead in our sins Needing Christ to give us life. Not to help us, but to actually give us life. To awaken us unto Himself. That is indeed what He has done and what He does. And what we find in Christianity is this. While we are on the one hand sinners, because of Christ we are on the other hand saints. We are sinners, yet saints. Because... We are justified through faith in Jesus. You see, justification can be defined in this way. Justification is when God declares the believing sinner righteous while yet in his sinful state. God declares the believing sinner righteous while yet in his sinful state. And that's why the Apostle Paul would say, even at that point in his life, of whom I am chief. If you think about him, he was an extraordinary case. There was no other apostle like the Apostle Paul. You might say, how so? If you look back up in 1 Timothy chapter 1, here's what he says about himself. In verse 13, he says, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor. Who did he persecute? He persecuted the church. And an insolent man. A vile, another translation for that is a violently, violently arrogant man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. That's what Paul says of himself. A blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. And he that The work of that was seen in the way that he persecuted the church, yet the Apostle Paul was saved by the mercy of Jesus Christ. So, worthy of all acceptance. Second thing is worst of all sinners. 
And then the last point, if I were to draw one out of this, pattern to those who would believe. You see this in the next verse, in verse 16. Check out what Paul says. This struck me as I was reading through this at some point, And um, then I felt like I should share this on this Eve, Christmas Eve service. It says, however, for this reason, I obtained mercy. Why? That in me first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. You see, the, the apostle being delivered from such great sin gives every sinner, no matter what the depths of your sin are, a pattern to follow. And in the Apostle, in the Apostle Paul, you can see the mercy of God that he extends to sinners. What does the Bible say at the end of Romans 5? Where, where sin abounded, grace did what? Much more abound. And so it is very true, and we ought to be thankful, shouldn't we? That Jesus Christ is able to do that. Well, here's what we see in verse 13. But I obtained mercy. What's the pattern? Well, I'm a sinner. I obtained mercy. Verse 14. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceedingly abundant. Well, I'm a sinner. The mercy of God is there. That means I do not get what I deserve. But then the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is also there. That is exceedingly abundant. Which means I get what I don't deserve. Mercy is when we do not get what we deserve. Grace is when we get what we do not deserve. And we find in verse 14 that there is faith and love in Christ Jesus. That's the pattern. Now, as we evaluate our lives on this Christmas Eve, remembering the coming of the Son of God, celebrating that, proclaiming that, hearing that, what does it mean to you? What pattern are you following? Are you, a fo- are you following a pattern that the, wor- the world has somehow established? Some pattern of goodness or good works on your part that you hope will save you? Or are you following the pattern that is laid out in Scripture of sinners needing a Savior and finding that in Christ? And there I would say to you, even finding the mercy and the grace of God by which we are able then to believe in Christ, have faith in Christ, and love Jesus Christ. Do you love Him tonight? Do you have faith in Him? In verse 16, we see one other aspect of this pattern. We see in verse 16 that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering how long suffering christ is that we in our sin yet he suffers long with us did you know that the bible says in first peter that the long suffering of the lord is salvation he brings judgment not on this world now why because it is his long suffering to save sinners 
sinners like us. Why all of this? Well, Paul reminds us at the end of verse or in verse 17, who's behind it all? Whose idea was it that he would send his son into the world, that the son of God would come and that um, he would die and that he would rise again on the third day, having borne our sins on the cross? Who would do this? Who would think of this thing? He points out in verse 17. Rightfully so, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God. Remember what I told you this morning? I read to you actually from 1 John chapter 5. This is the testimony. That God has given us eternal life. And that life is in His Son. He who has the Son has what? Has life. But he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Christmas Eve. We're going to wake up in the morning and open presents. Have a great time. I don't know. Anybody have any traditions where you open presents on Christmas Eve night? Yes. Yeah, good. So you open presents, have a lot of fun. It's great. But as it might be said, God has given the greatest gift. Sinners can be saved. Christ died for us. He's given us a pattern. A pattern that can be followed. And it's a joy. It is a joy to proclaim this good news. It is a good news that we ought not keep to ourselves. That's what you do with good news, isn't it? You share it. And we joy in what Christ has done. In a moment, we're going to sing our last hymn for the night. And we'll be dismissed to go our separate ways. And here's what we're going to sing. We're going to sing number 271. Tanner and Claire will come and lead us. And it's joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And as we sing, let's be reminded of what Christ has done. And all that He has done to save us and truly adore Him for who He is. Let's pray together and then we shall sing our last song and be dismissed. Father, I thank You for Your Word. And again, Lord, I pray tonight that any who are not in Christ, I pray that the seed of the gospel that has fallen upon hearts, on ears, I pray it will be heard and that they might be saved. Father, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing our last song.